Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading in the Gospel of Matthew as we hear the account of our Lord's transfiguration. You may be seated. We begin with an opening prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks this day that once again you have called us here to bask in the glory of your Son, Jesus, by hearing his word and receiving the gift and his sacrament of his body and blood for our forgiveness and our strengthening of faith. We pray today, Lord, that as we hear your word, you would teach us to listen, to hear in faith, and not to interrupt when you speak, O Lord, but to let your word have its way with us. And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we've mentioned a number of times now, this is the Sunday of the Transfiguration, that Sunday when we remember Jesus taking three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, with him up onto a mountain when he was transfigured before them. That is, his countenance changed, and he became bright like the sun. Jesus was, was shining forth the glory of God, revealing that he is truly God and man at the same time. Now, it's one of these remarkable Sundays we have every year in the church here, and we kind of don't pay a whole lot of attention to it, but we always have the Sunday of Transfiguration right before Ash Wednesday and right before we go into the time of Lent. Because what we see here in the Transfiguration is Jesus and his disciples having a, a sort of mountaintop experience before they head back down into the valley to make the way to the cross. Jesus is on the mountain before he fixes his eyes on the cross where he is going to suffer and die and then finally rise for the salvation of the world. Now what I want you to pay attention to today as we look deeper into this passage and what's going on here on the mountain, what I want you to see today is that there seems to be a whole lot of conversation going on here on the mountain of transfiguration. There's all kinds of talking taking place. Jesus is standing there and he is shining with the glory of heaven and next to him is Moses and Moses is talking with Jesus. Now this is rather significant. Moses has been, you know, dead for a few hundred years at this point so no one was really expecting to see him there. But there is Moses talking with Jesus. Now when Moses had been talking while he was alive back in the book of Deuteronomy, he wrote that another savior was or a savior was going to come, a prophet who was greater than himself. Also, we know of Moses that he spent a lot of time on the mountain speaking with God. That's where he got the law and the commandments and all of these sorts of things. God actually would appear to Moses in a tent or, or a tabernacle and speak with him there. Moses spent time talking with God, and Moses would then come forth reflecting the glory of God. Well, here we find Moses doing it again standing in the presence of God, reflecting the glory of Christ, speaking to the one who is the fulfillment of his prophecy. This is the greater prophet who was to come, God in flesh, Jesus Christ. And Elijah's there. And Elijah is talking. He's talking with Jesus. Elijah stands here sort of as the representative of all the prophets in the Old Testament. And the primary message of the prophets in the, in the Old Testament was to call God's people to repentance and to get them to look for the Savior who was to come, this Jesus Christ who would arrive. Now we also know of Elijah that he also would go up on a mountain and he would also speak with God, much like Moses. And once again, Elijah's doing it here. 
Elijah is speaking with God in flesh, the fulfillment of everything that the prophets had said would take place. And he is speaking with Jesus. And of course, Jesus is there and he is talking. Talking with Moses. Talking with Elijah. And the question we probably would have is, what are they talking about? Now, Matthew's gospel doesn't give us a whole lot of detail there. But if you look at Luke's gospel, for example, Luke will give us a little more insight. He tells us that Jesus and Moses and Elijah are talking about his departure. Probably better translated, his exodus. His saving journey, his journey of salvation, his passion. Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah what he was talking to his disciples about in the previous chapter, Matthew 16. That he is going to Jerusalem, where he's going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. He is going to be crucified, and three days later, he is going to rise again. Jesus is talking with Moses and Elijah, what Moses and Elijah and all the prophets in the Old Testament are always talking about. The coming of this Savior and his passion. That's the conversation that is taking place here. That's all the talking that is going on, except for one more, Peter. But Peter doesn't so much contribute to the conversation as much as he interrupts the conversation. Peter speaks up out of turn. Peter's not paying any attention to this conversation about suffering and dying on a cross. Peter has no time for that. Peter wants to stay here on the mountain. He doesn't want to go down into the valley. He doesn't want to go into Jerusalem. He wants to stay here. He wants to stay here with Moses and Elijah and Jesus, and he wants to build great tabernacles or tents for them so they might bask in this glory forever. Peter interrupts the conversation about Jesus' saving work to talk a little bit more about some of his religious ideas. Peter is not contributing. Peter is interrupting. And if you've ever been interrupted before, you know how obnoxious this can actually be. Interruptions are rude very often, and they're quite unpleasant. Far too often, we don't like interruptions because when we are interrupted, the person interrupting is saying something like this. Hey, forget what you guys are talking about. I have something more important to say. In fact, by inserting myself in the conversation here, I'm just a little more important than you guys. I have something to contribute that's far more valuable than anything you are having a conversation about, and that drives us nuts. Because it's just rude, it's impolite, it's self-serving. Though I do like the quote from Mark Twain who once said, there is nothing so annoying as to have two people go right on talking while you're interrupting. That's a good line, that's very true. Uh, Mark Twain, thanks for that. Interruptions are crazy and are, are, are just so rude and obnoxious. And it, just notice here what Peter is doing, he's interrupting Jesus. He's interrupting the God in flesh while he speaks. And though I don't know that Peter is sort of overtly sinning here, it does strike me today that when we sin, that's exactly what we do. Sin is an interruption of God. God who speaks to us by means of his word. God who gives us his will and words of law and shows us our salvation and the promises of the gospel. When we sin, we are interrupting what God has to say. So for example, God will say something like this. I'm the Lord your God who saved you. You should have no other gods besides me. And we come along and we say, yeah, but you know, I've got a few other priorities in my life before I'm going to spend any time thinking about you, God. Or maybe we think about this in light of the Sermon on the Mount last week. 
Remember Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you look at somebody with hatred in your heart, you've already murdered them in the eyes of God. And we say, yeah, Jesus, no, I, I get it, but just think about how badly they've hurt me. And God's word says the bitterness is the root of all kinds of evil. And we respond by saying, yeah, but they're not getting what they deserve. So I'm going to remain bitter and I'm going to hold on to this until they suffer. Or think about how Jesus last week, he was talking about, about marriage. And Jesus is very clear for us. You know that marriage is between uh, a, a man and a woman. And this is what the scriptures teach time and time again. And in our culture, we'll interrupt and say, yeah, but Jesus, don't you think you should sort of reevaluate all the different kinds of love that exist in this world? Or look, it's even closer to home. At times, Jesus and, and the scriptures will talk to us about our finances. St. Paul goes so far as to say the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And a lot of us didn't even get past the phrase love of money because as soon as he said love of money, we're like, I do love money. We should think more about how much money I can get. Never mind what you have to say, Jesus. Let's just talk about my money and my finances. And on and on it goes. We could go through all kinds of verses and go through this to show how we interrupt what God has to say to us. And we live our lives interrupting in sin when we should be listening to what God has to say. And no one really is better at interrupting uh, than St. Peter. St. Peter, the patron saint of interrupting. <laughs> Just before this passage, when Peter was interrupting Jesus, uh, we had another very fascinating account in Matthew, again, chapter 16. There Jesus is teaching his disciples what his mission is as the Messiah. And he tells them exactly what I just told you earlier. That he is on his way to Jerusalem where he is going to suffer at the hands of sinners. He's going to be crucified on a cross and three days later rise again. Jesus says this to all the disciples. And as soon as he says this, Peter takes him aside. Peter interrupts the conversation and pulls him aside and says, May it never be, Lord. Oh, no, 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 Jesus. You don't understand what a Messiah is supposed to do. You're not going to suffer and die. You're going into uh, uh, glory. And you're going to rise with power and be above everybody else. There's no suffering. There's no time for the cross. See, whether Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah about his passion or whether Jesus is talking to his disciples about his passion, Peter has no time for the passion. He has no time for a Messiah that has to die on a cross. Peter wants a Messiah who's going to give him the good life, the happy life, the life he wants, the life he desires. He wants a Messiah who's going to make all of his dreams come true. He's not going to fight beside a Messiah who's going to go die on a cross. No, he's going to be his right-hand man fighting with him in glory. Peter wants to be the guy, you know, who is known as the one who built those tents for Moses and Elijah and Jesus. So he interrupts Jesus. He interrupts this conversation to bring you the blueprints of Peter's great religious ideals. And then, boom, another interruption. A thunderclap and a cloud. A terrifying interruption. But not an interruption that's bad or rude or, or uh, impolite. An interruption that is necessary. See, not all interruptions are rude. Some interruptions are good for us. Some interruptions are necessary for us. I remember when I was a kid growing up in Aurora, Colorado, uh, we would get tornado warnings every year. We would come home from school after a long day and the clouds would be green and ominous outside and we would sit down to watch TV and you'd be watching your favorite cartoon show and all of a sudden the TV would start going beep, beep, beep 
and then uh, the news station would show up and they would say what? We interrupt this regularly scheduled program. You remember that phrase? We interrupt this regularly scheduled program to bring you news. And they would let you know that there was a tornado in an area. Now, we might be irritated that they interrupted our little cartoons, but this was good news to know. This was necessary. We had to go downstairs and we had to prepare ourselves in case a tornado was coming. This was an interruption that really kind of would save our lives. This was a good sort of interruption. And so this is what happens. While Peter is speaking, God gives an interruption that would save his life. Matthew writes it this way. While Peter was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. The father shows up. And he interrupts Peter's regularly scheduled religious blunder with the most important news he could possibly ever hear. With the most important news you could ever hear. In fact, God's word shows up to us here today and it interrupts our lives with the most important news you can know. That Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Son of God. The one the Father has sent to be your Savior. He's the one who speaks and who acts with the authority of God. He is the only one who does what is pleasing to the Father. Thus, we should listen to him over and against every other voice we hear in the world. Whether it's from the voices from the culture, the voices from the world around us, the voices that come out of our own mouths, and the voices that we hear in our own heads. All of it needs to be silenced when Jesus speaks. The Father says, this is my son, listen to him and that is what the father would have for us today that we would hear the word of christ that's why we say around here so often at community lutheran church that as disciples of jesus we are those who hear god's word and worship learn god's word and bible study and care for everybody that god gives to us according to that word it is crucial and central for us as disciples to be in worship where we are hearing the scriptures, where we are hearing the message of Christ, where we are hearing the promises spoken to us. Because everywhere else we go, we're hearing all kinds of contrasting messages. But here, Christ speaks to us. And he speaks to us his grace-soaked, sin-removing, faith-creating word right into our ears and to our hearts. When we listen to this Jesus, we are listening to the one who is, in fact, God in flesh, who knows what's going on in the world better than what the world knows, who knows what's going on in your life better than you know what's going on in your life. The one who speaks to you, Jesus Christ, knows you better than you know yourself. And so when his word arrives, it will convict you of your sins and it will remind you of the forgiveness you need in his name. When he speaks, there's nothing else to listen to. Which is why the only thing that matches the audacity of Peter speaking while God is there with Moses and Elijah is our own sinful interruptions when the scriptures are being read. Our own sinful interruptions when God's word speaks and we decide to correct it or to insert our own ideas or try and put our own interpretations, we call them, on the text. 
what we don't need to do is reinterpret the text. What we need is to have our minds renewed, our eyes refocused, and our hearts made new by the words that proceed from the mouth of Jesus Christ. But your life is so full of noise and chatter and messages and information that you must interact with, that you must listen to, that you must contemplate, that you must weed through. I mean, we go through this information overload all the time, so it is as terrifying as it might be, it can also be a complete breath of fresh air when the Father says, just stop and listen to Christ. And it would be also terrifying if we don't for a second stop and remember who it is who is speaking to us. Perhaps what we need to do is just stop and listen to this one who, with whom the Father is well pleased. This one who is making his way to Jerusalem where he will be betrayed into the hands of sinners for the sake of sinners. Where he will offer up his life on the cross as a God-pleasing sacrifice for your sins and for my sins. Perhaps we should listen to the one who conquers all our fears, in fact, our greatest fear of death, by rising again on the third day. And yes, it might be terrifying, but notice what this one does and what this one says when he speaks. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And that is the word of Christ, even to you today. Rise and have no fear. You have nothing to fear. For this Jesus who is transfigured on this mountain has come for you. And he has touched your ears and your heart today with his word which says, Have no fear, I have died for you and your sins are forgiven. And he will come to you again today here at the altar in his very body and blood and the bread and the wine. And he will touch your lips with that bread and wine. And he will say, Take and eat, take and drink my body, my blood given for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And we who would interrupt these words with all of our uncertainties and sorrows and sins and death and disease and fear and all of this, Jesus just comes to us today and silences us and touches us with his nail-pierced hand and says once again, have no fear. Your sins are forgiven and I am with you. And now that we hear nothing but Jesus, I suppose that there's nothing left to be said. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, tune our ears to hear your word alone. Lord, help us to understand what it is you speak to us in your word so that we might discern truth from error and that our faith would evermore be strengthened as we uh, confront all the various voices in this world. Teach us, Lord, not to interrupt, but to hear you and trust you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Having heard the words of our Lord, I invite you to please rise as we continue by confessing our faith in the